the Bible is very clear in its teaching that there will be um, a great day of the Lord. And um, this will involve a battle. And um, the Bible tells us a lot about this battle. And um, this evening, um, the purpose is to um, just uh, reveal some of that teaching that the Bible has on this um, very interesting uh, subject. So the structure of the talk this evening um, might appear a little bit complex, but uh, as we get into it, it'll be clear as you work through it. I just want to give you a little bit of background and a little bit of context about um, this great day of the Lord. There are, there are a number of great days of the Lord, but this is a specific one that we're going to look at um, this evening. We're going to ask the, ask the question, why is the judgment of God necessary? Uh, and what happens immediately prior to Armageddon? Um, then a brief outline of the sequence of events post Armageddon. Um, then we'll have a look at the, the Battle of Armageddon itself and uh, what the outcome of Armageddon uh, will look like. Uh, and then signs that the day is approaching because that's what God does. He works um, in a way that uh, he reveals his plan and purpose to mankind through the Bible. And then he starts to work that plan and purpose out. And those signs uh, are all amongst us, uh, all around us as we speak. And then just ask the question, Armageddon and you, and some, some conclusions. So that's the structure of the talk this evening. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, just um, come with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 16 and verse 16. I think this is the only place in the Bible that the word Armageddon, which is a Hebrew word, is, is mentioned. And um, it would appear that this Hebrew word can be broken down into three elements. Armor, which means heap of sheaves. G, which is valley and don judgment and um, therefore we have this um, picture presented to us that that Armageddon is going to involve a judgment on on the peoples of the earth and they're going to be like a heap of sheaves and um, it's going to be in a valley where this judgment is going to take place and um, if you come with me to the prophecy of Joel and um, Joel chapter 3 um, confirmation of this um, is provided there. We read there, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, notice that, bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And immediately when we read words like that, which were penned many centuries ago, we have the uncomfortable feeling that actually the words in that brief little summary from Joel are absolutely up to date. Um, Israel has been regathered. They are back in the land. They are back in Jerusalem. And um, they were previously scattered among the nations, and um, the nations had previously parted the land of Israel. And um, the valley of Jehoshaphat is a valley 
um, that sits in and around the city of Jerusalem. Armageddon, therefore, is about the judgment of God upon the nations of the earth, uh, which will be gathered and located uh, near Jerusalem. And um, that, that is, uh, I think, an important point um, to, to gather right from the outset, because there is a focus on the land, there is a focus upon Jerusalem, and there's a focus upon the people of Judah, otherwise known as Israel. So why is the judgment of God necessary? Well, if you come back with me to the um, book of Revelation and chapter 16, we find that in these times, in these days that lead up to the Battle of Armageddon, the controlling powers in the earth are referred to um, as um, uh, various animals. Um, so if we um, go into verse 13, it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And um, the overriding conclusion is that, that God's purpose, and we'll come to that in a moment, God's purpose cannot be fulfilled by a beast and by a dragon, nor by a false prophet. And um, this comes across very clearly in Psalm 49. You come with me to Psalm 49. Um, we read these words. At the end there in verse, verse 20, well, verse, verse 18 for connection. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. And um, the overriding conclusion here is that, that there is some special knowledge. And that special knowledge is not given to man as of right. It's contained in the scripture that God has inspired to be written. That special knowledge contained in the book has a significance concerning the destiny of man. A man that does not understand these things is just like a beast that perishes. In, in other words, man has the potential of great things, but if he is not educated in the things of God, then there is no future for him. And, and that destiny is set out right at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Because in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, we have a little summary of the plan and purpose of God. And that little summary involves man being at the very center of the purpose of God and displaying the character of God, that he might be in the image of God, and as such, as king, being in the image of God, being a moral being, express the character of God, and to express the glory of God in the judgments and rulership that he exerts on the earth. So we read in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion or rulership 
over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's the, that's the purpose, that, that man, made in the image of God, could rule this earth and display the glory of character. And, and that's what's being spoken of here, the glory of character. Not any character, but the character of God. When we come to um, the book of Numbers, in chapter 14, it's uh, a little verse that's uh, in, imposed on the, on the um, history of the event. Israel are about to go into the land, to occupy the land, having been delivered and redeemed from the nation of Egypt. They walk through the great desert, the howling wilderness. Um, they come to the brink of entering the land, and because of lack of faith, they can't go in. And in this context, God is very angry with Israel at this point. And we read the words as follows. Verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. This is the word of Moses that, that Moses um, spoke to the Lord on that occasion, pleading for his people Israel. But as truly as I live, says the Lord, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. And that, that's not possible to do that if the character derived from the power of the word of God and its instruction is not in the foreheads of those who have the rulership of the earth at this time. And it hasn't. The rulers of the earth at this time are defined as a dragon and a beast and a false prophet. And therefore, this judgment of God is absolutely essential. To fulfill God's purpose. So let's ask ourselves what, what, what happens immediately prior to Armageddon? Um, well, if you go back again to um, the book of Revelation and um, verse um, chapter 16, and um, there at the very beginning, it says there in verse 15 Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, speaking. And um, he's saying that he'll return as a thief. Um, and that return is as a thief to the nations of the earth, those who are ignorant of the purpose of God. And the exhortation is for those who do know these things is to keep their garments, the the garments we put on at baptism to be righteous before God. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So there is a return of the Lord, a physical return to the Lord, to, of the Lord to the earth. And, and having returned, he will complete the final preparations, which will lead unto Armageddon. Now, Paul, writing to the believers at Thessalonica, um, told us about this return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he returns, he will raise the dead, those faithful who have died, fallen asleep in Christ, they will be raised. Those that remain alive will be gathered together and the household of faith will then be judged and those found worthy of going to be granted immortality. And so we have 
the preparation of the peoples of the earth who are in ignorance. They're being prepared, they're being gathered together um, at this point in time. But the household of faith are also being gathered together and being prepared and being clothed with immortality that they, with the Lord Jesus Christ, might implement God's great plan and purpose, which is to establish the kingdom of God upon this earth. And so we have these final preparations being made. If we come back again to um, the prophecy of Joel and chapter 3, um, we have some very interesting uh, words spoken there um, as we um, build towards the day of, of Armageddon and um, chapter 3 and verse 9 we're told proclaim ye this among the Gentiles prepare war wake up the mighty men let all the men of war draw near let them come up Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. And, and therefore there is this period of preparation within the war, within the world, where there is a preparation for war. All these nations are arming themselves. And indeed we, we find that that is exactly what's happening at the present day. The armaments of the world are increasing and are a sign that the day draws close. In Isaiah chapter 11, we have a slight shift in the explanation around Armageddon. So instead of thinking about the things that will happen prior to Armageddon, Isaiah chapter 11 tells us about the things that will happen after Armageddon. You turn your Bibles, please, with me to the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 11. Um, we'll just uh, drop on one or two points. But um, Isaiah chapter 11 is a little word picture of the kingdom of God, which will be established upon Mount Zion immediately after Armageddon. And um, the context to Isaiah chapter 11 is very interesting because, as you probably are aware, Isaiah is written against the historical background of the Assyrian invasion in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the king of Judah and became a type, a, a prophetic figure that pointed forward to Messiah yet to be established. And the Assyrians were the typical northern army that invaded the land. And the conflict that is recorded in Isaiah is at one point developed against the historical background of this conflict between the northern invader, the Assyrians, and Judah and Hezekiah on the one hand. But at the same time, it's pointing forward those historical facts are pointing forward to a day yet future and to a greater fulfillment of these words. So in Isaiah chapter 10, we have the destruction of the northern kingdom, the Assyrians, being described 
in very graphic terms. And then the beginning of chapter 11, we have, as it were, the reign of Messiah being described for us. And it's a time of, 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 of great beauty. And um, it is uh, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, because it is he, it says there in chapter 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is describing the Lord Jesus Christ after the great battle of Armageddon. And then it goes on to describe um, in the rest of those verses down to verse 9, the characteristic of the embryonic kingdom of God, which will be established, centered on Jerusalem and Mount Zion. And to fulfill that purpose, the starting of the fulfilling of God's purpose, it says there in verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the glory of God, the glory of character and of knowledge of God that's being spoken of. And having given us that little picture, it then goes on to tell us about what will happen immediately thereafter. And um, we're told there in verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands in the sea. So at the moment, that's exactly the situation we find ourselves in. About 50 percent or thereabouts of natural Israel have already returned to the land. The other 50 percent are scattered throughout all nations of the earth. And what we're being told here is that that they will be regathered. They will be regathered and they will be brought back to the land of Israel after the battle of Armageddon. And interestingly, it says there in verse 12, it says, And shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall, be, shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. In other words, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah and Israel will be united uh, like two sticks in the hand of the Messiah. They will be brought together into one nation. And um, Ezekiel uh, prophecy talks about the two stick prophecy. Um, and here in Isaiah, we have exactly um, the same um, issue being described. And then we're told, but uh, in verse um, 14, but they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines on the west. Together they shall spoil the children of the east. They shall put forth their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shark. So as the kingdom starts to be established, 
natural Israel are regathered back into the land. They become one nation centered on Jerusalem. And then we have this situation where the nations round about feel the judgment of God in terms of establishing the wider kingdom in accordance with the land that was first promised to their forefather, Abraham. And that war of revenge will be revenge on these surrounding nations for the things that they will do to the people of Judah in the days of Armageddon. And as a consequence of this outpouring of judgments on the nations round about, the kingdom will be established in the land and then it will progress to being a worldwide kingdom. And that is the message of the Bible. It is going to be the fulfillment of that verse that we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Man, not just any man, but the Lord Jesus Christ with his bride, the saints, will have dominion over the earth and shall inherit it uh, for an everlasting possession. This is the purpose of God. And uh, therefore, we need to see the battle of Armageddon within that overall context. So let's just summarize this, if, you, if, you, if I can, please. Um, the key outcome of Armageddon is this immediately post-Armageddon, we've got this embryonic kingdom of God established upon the earth, centered on Jerusalem and the Mount of Zion. The second stage, all Israel are regathered back to the land and the two-stick prophecy is established. Ephraim and Judah join together. The third stage is the kingdom of God steadily develops until like a great mountain, it fills the whole earth so that the glory of God fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is a brief summary of the steps toward the establishment of the kingdom of God upon earth. Well, let's... Um, Let's switch our attention now back to um, the actual Battle of Armageddon itself. And um, there are a number of passages in scriptures I've already indicated um, that talk about the Battle of Armageddon. Just to give you a few, I would say Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 34, Zechariah chapter 9, and particularly Ezekiel's chapters 38 and 39. These chapters all speak of Armageddon and give us different facets to, to the detail relating to that particular battle. But let's just um, go for now to Ezekiel chapter 38. And um, <clears throat> in this chapter, we're, we're given quite a bit of very interesting information which provides a useful pointer um, to the way in which things are happening in the earth right now. It says there, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man. Now that's a title the Lord Jesus Christ used, son of man. And it's interesting that the prophet is using that title because it's speaking of the time when the Lord, the son of man will be back in the earth and he will receive this instruction. The land, son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I'm against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth 
and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armour, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagama and of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all the company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. And after many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. So, so here we have um, a great deal of information concerning all nations that shall be gathered together against the land of Israel, and particularly against Jerusalem. And um, the key question here is um, who these people are. Well, um, this is a, a, a map that provides uh, a brief summary of who these people are. And um, you'll gather that um, there's a reference there in the description of these people that, that uh, Rosh, Meshach and Tubal live in the northern quarters. And um, if you were to follow the line of longitude from Jerusalem, you'll find, surprisingly, that the city north of Jerusalem is none other than Moscow. And um, if nothing else um, were to convince you that um, the, this prophecy is speaking about um, the people of Russia, um, then I would suggest that that should. But this, this, um, this map, which is maybe not the clearest, but um, hopefully will serve to illustrate where these people live currently. We've got Magog, Rosh, Meshach and Tubal are the northern quarters from Israel and speak of the uh, Russian people. But Western Europe um, are Goma and Turkey is Tagama. Um, and then we also have Libya, Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia uh, and, and Persia, which is Iran. And um, so therefore we find that actually, although the words of Ezekiel were spoken a long time ago, Nevertheless, the geography and location of people uh, remains consistent uh, with the prophecy. But what I would like to draw your attention to is the fact that, that this really is um, a, a big focus on, on Europe and Russia. Um, and the other nations um, are, are allied to them. But, but it's, it's, it's Europe and Russia. Uh, where Christianity was first preached and then got corrupted um, by the paganism that uh, existed in those early days, that corruption um, speaks much of of the um, beast uh, and the dragon that we encounter in the book of Revelation. So just moving on then, in terms of the Battle of Armageddon, we're told that um, they attack Jerusalem, resulting in urban warfare, half the city being taken captive. If you were to come with me to um, Zechariah, which is towards the end of the, of the Old Testament, um, we get a very vivid picture portrayed to us. Um, I'll read some verses to you. Um, Zechariah chapter 14, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, 
and they spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations. There's that description again, which is very important. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the battle, the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. So here's the, here's the um, description, actually, which I think ties into Armageddon. I, I would conclude from these words that the valley um, that's been spoken of in the book of Revelation does not yet exist because there's going to be a seismic change to the area around Jerusalem. And that seismic change fits in with the um, fault lines that exist in that place, in that part of the world. Um, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and his feet um, are established on the Mount of Olives, that seismic change will take place a great valley will open up and as we've been told here the lord jesus christ and the saints will intervene at this moment and deliver the remnant that remain in the city of jerusalem so read and half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of it toward the south and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountain shall reach unto azale Yea, ye shall flee like ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come. And here's the point. And all the saints with thee. And, and therefore the saints uh, just simply means those sanctified in Christ, those baptized into Christ, those who have been raised from the dead and been given immortality will be there with the Lord Jesus Christ in that day of Armageddon and they will deliver the remnant of Judah at that time. So we have this interesting prophecy um, to change the subject just slightly um, uh, in the book of Daniel and chapter 2. Um, I brought this in front of you because actually this sets the overall context to the whole prophecy. And um, we have here the king of Babylon, um, a Gentile king, um, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he had invaded the land and took the, the uh, Judah's, Judah's people uh, into captivity. And Daniel was one of those who effectively stood before the king and um, the king had a terrible nightmare one night. He couldn't remember the dream, couldn't remember the context. All he remembered was that he was very frightened. And he wanted his wise men to tell him what the dream was and also to give the interpretation. No one had ever done that before. Um, and he threatened to, to slay all the wise men because they couldn't do it. But Daniel was given an insight and knowledge about these things from God himself. And the prophecy um, that came from that um, situation is summarized on this slide. Basically, 
there are a number of stages in the kingdom of men, singular. Those stages involve a number of empires that impacted upon the land of Israel when the people of Israel were in the land. And it starts with the head of gold, um, the Babylonians, and then it's the chest and arms of silver, which are the Medo-Persians. Then we have the belly of belly and thighs of brass, which speaks of the Greeks. Then we have the legs of iron, which speaks of the Roman Empire. And it's very appropriate that we have two legs because the Roman Empire was split into east and west. And then later on, <clears throat> we have the ten toes of iron and clay mixed together. Now, if you come with me to Daniel's prophecy, um, I'd just like to share a couple of um, uh, verses with you from that um, prophecy. Because in chapter 2 and um, verse 40, we, we read these words. And the fourth king, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And speaking here about the Roman Empire, iron is associated with Rome. And um, that's always been the case. The uh, prophetic symbol that's been used here in the language is entirely appropriate. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay, part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now, isn't this an interesting uh, little prophetic symbol that we've got? And what I would suggest is that this prophetic symbol speaks of our day. Uh, and and when, you, when you look at that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw when he dreamt the dream, we find that as you, as you step through each stage in the development of the kingdom of men, that each, each stage in the empire's development is characterized by autocracy and absolute power of the emperor who's in charge. They have absolute authority over life and death of all those who are around them. Until you get to the ten toes. Until you get to the ten toes, then there's a change. We're being told there's a, there's a different situation here. At the ten toes stage, which is our own day, I would suggest, because we're very, very close to this situation. The ten toes stage um, is, is, is different. Let's just read it again. Whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with my clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly broken. Now, I, I would suggest that um, Vladimir Putin is part of the iron. He rules with autocracy. 
whereas others are subject to democracy and therefore there is a public accountability of the government to the people which in these terms is creating a weakness it's associated with the people and with human nature and um, what I would suggest is that um, this is picked up in um, just one moment while I get my back. Yeah, that this is picked up in the book of Revelation. You come back with me to the book of Revelation and we find that the spirit um, that's being spoken of there is the spirit of democracy, the spirit of the of human rights, the spirit of the French Revolution, where the individual's rights take um, precedence almost over everything else. And as a result of that, it somewhat hinders um, the authorities from doing what they might want to do. It's um, Revelation 16. It says there, And I saw three unclean spirit-like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They're, they're speaking a political language of democracy and human rights. Even the dragon is speaking the same language, even though the dragon, I don't think, ever would believe um, the, the dogma that's being trotted out. But it's the, it's the, it's the miry clay stage um, that Daniel is speaking of. And, and, and there is a relationship here between these three passages of scripture, I would suggest, that we would be um, well to be minded of. Daniel chapter 2, Ezekiel chapter 38, and Revelation 16. The, these three chapters, I think, go together, and um, they need to be read together. The um, section in Revelation 16 is talking about the political confederacy. In Ezekiel 38, is speaking about the military confederacy. And Daniel chapter 2, we're being told very, very clearly that the dominant power that will be in the land at the time of Christ's return is essentially Roman in its character and false Christianity. The, the, these are the key components that, that we need to be aware of as we start to consider um, this subject, I would suggest as a personal um, suggestion to you, nothing more than that, but a suggestion from me that that is what's being um, spoken of here. So there are a number of outcomes. Um, the northern invader into the land of Israel is destroyed, Ezekiel 38 and 39. The remnant of Judah, mortals, are delivered from the northern invader and brought into the bonds of the new covenant you read about in Zechariah 12 and 13 and the remnant of Israel mortal dispersed throughout the whole earth are called to return to the land of Israel so what can we say then concerning the signs that the day of Armageddon is at hand <clears throat> well Ezekiel 38 prophecy concerning the partial regathering of Israel prior to Armageddon is set out there we have the the miracle of natural Israel the partial regathering out of many people in verse 8. We're told there's one back from the sword again in verse 8. We're told that they're living prosperously, and they are. 
um, and that they've taken the spoiler and the spread of prey when they come down because they are wealthy, for they have gotten goods and cattle, in verse 12. And also in verse 12, we're told in Ezekiel 38 that they're dwelling in the midst or in the navel of the land, the tummy button of the land in verse 12. And that uh, tummy button, I would suggest, is Jerusalem. Signs of the day of Armageddon is at hand. Well, the days of the sixth vial um, is being spoken of here in Revelation. And um, the drying up of the river Euphrates is a prophetic symbol, speaking of the evaporation of the Turkish power, reduced from an empire to republic. Um, interestingly, they seem to be exerting their own influence at the moment. Um, I would suggest that as watchers of these things, Turkey is a, a nation to be watched. Um, because we would anticipate that their powers to be further diminished. But the diminishing of their power started in 1827 when the uh, Greeks declared their independence and continued through to World War I when Turkey lost its control um, of the Middle East. And um, they have uh, withdrawn from their empire ever since. So what else have we got that is of um, real significance in the earth right now. Well, I think um, what we have in the European Union is the establishment of the Third Holy Roman Empire. Um, not surprisingly, it was initiated by the Treaty of Rome, 1956. It, it's consistent with um, Daniel's prophecy that we read in, in chapter 2. Um, as, as being a, a matter of democratic imperialism. This is the miry clay in the ten-toe stage. Revelation 16, verse 13, as we've already looked at it, is the language of the French Revolution, human rights and democracy. And what I would suggest, I wouldn't be dogmatic, but I would suggest that the three elements spoken of there in Revelation speak of the beast, which is the Western military power, centered on Germany and France particularly, but particularly on Berlin. Um, the false prophet, I would suggest, is the religious power centred in Rome and the Pope. And the dragon is the powerful military um, entity within that overall confederacy of Russia uh, and Eastern Europe. So I don't think really we should be using scripture to predict what's going to happen in the future. Um, but I think we can identify potential trends before they happen once we get fairly close to those events um, happening. So here is um, just a few ideas for myself and they're, they're nothing more than ideas. They're not too radical. I think they're fairly um, obvious. But what I would suggest to you is that if I was making this suggestion maybe 30 years ago, you might think they were radical. But I think speculation would be as follows. The UK exits the EU and becomes a separate sovereign nation. And the exerting of that sovereign sovereignty and independence we have seen, particularly over the last week, and um, as negotiations for a, a smooth Brexit has, has stumbled and looks as if it's going to fail, leaving us with a hard Brexit. But, but watch this space. That, that journey is not yet ended. Um, but if that is the case, with Britain removed from Europe, then that would open the way for Europe to embrace Russia, something that would absolutely not happen if Britain was remaining with Europe.
But with Britain out of the way, I think the potential for Europe to be reunited um, could well be facilitated by that change. Um, NATO has wobbled a little bit with um, uh, Donald Trump, but um, it's quite likely, I think, that NATO ultimately will be dismantled and there will be a political and military confederacy established between Western and Eastern Europe. And when that happens, um, Europe will become a very, very powerful citadel uh, indeed with uh, Russia and um, the beast, which is Western Europe, joining together both militarily and politically, uh, as well as economically. In that context, we would anticipate Russia making a land grab um, and um, retaking Constantinople. And um, we would also anticipate in these final days before Armageddon um, for the defensive walls in Israel to be brought down, as Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 11 indicates. And Israel will be dwelling safely. It's when the peace and safety cry is heard that the imminent um, disaster of Armageddon, if I could use that, that sort of description uh, from the world's perspective, will, will take place. So Armageddon and you. So given these momentous, momentous events which are prophesied, um, the big question that comes to the forefront of everyone's minds is simply this. Are, are you ready? And um, this is a very serious uh, question that I would pose to each and every one of you if you've not taken on um, the gospel message and responded uh, to the word of hope and deliverance that the gospel uh, presents to each and every one of us. And the, the point I say is that guidance is at hand. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 41, um, we're instructed to receive the word of God, believe it, repent, and to be baptized into the saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into that new covenant in readiness for the great day of Armageddon and, more particularly, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. Thank you for listening.